Welcome to Make Things That Matter, the podcast where we explore impactful products and the cultures that create them. I'm your host, Andrew Scottsko, and if I'm doing my job well, each episode of this show will help you to do meaningful work, make things that make things better, and have a great experience doing it. My guest in this episode is Sarah Avenir. I would describe Sarah as a full-hearted leader who models the strength of vulnerability in her experiments with creating sustainable businesses that are good for people and sharing about her journey. She's the CEO of And Yet, a people-first growth and creative web consultancy founded in 2008, and she's also the author of Gather the People, a book I really appreciated in which she introduced the world to a deep, not wide marketing theory that's actually built on genuine connection, vulnerability, and authenticity. I really enjoyed this conversation exploring people-first growth and bridging the gap between authenticity, spirituality, and leadership. I hope it inspires you as much as it inspires me and helps you step into the next level of your leadership with a full, open heart. So without any further ado, please enjoy Sarah Avenir. Sarah, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited. I see you have a soccer ball in the background. Is that your soccer ball or is that a child? Uh, you know, that one's just been sitting over there for a while, actually. It's not, I don't even know <laughs> who it is. But the thing that I have been playing with a lot that has been a lot of fun during the, the COVID quarantine and everything is I've gotten into playing Frisbee. I don't know about you, oh, but really? like, yeah, like everybody loves Frisbee. I like, just I got like a frisbee and I walk around every frisbee like that kind of frisbee or frisbee like when you're a kid and you play frisbee frisbee yeah like frisbee frisbee like frisbee like that. the whole thing people like nice. it, it just turns everybody into a little kid again and it's super fun and oh it's my gosh. Like, I hadn't thought it's about the that ultimate socially distant sport you're like hey go thirty you're yards away and I'll throw you this thing. Oh yeah. man, that's awesome. It's well, been my, one of my I'm favorite ways to have like socially distant hangouts with people during the pandemic is like, Hey, uh, you know, I know we're doing the distance thing. So you go 20 yards away and I'll be over here and we'll talk when we throw <laughs> this thing. We'll just yell at each other and try to catch this frisbee. That's awesome. I love it. It actually works pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> it's been really fun. And it's funny that you, you jumped onto that because the, the thing I actually wanted to ask you. And I hope I'm getting this right, but I remember from when I was reading Gather the People, your, your first book, uh, you had something in there. There's something you said in there that really resonated with me and you tied it to, you said your middle name is joy and that a lifelong lesson for you has and is to prioritize joy, to make it non-negotiable, to make it a part of your everyday lived reality. And I'm curious, sort of two things, what had you realized that and how was that going for you? Like, how are you, how are you actually embodying that and practicing that in your life? People perceive me as someone who takes risks and is always reinventing things. Um, but I've realized over the years that it's not because I'm just really excited about risks. It's because I'm actually pretty afraid of a lot of things. And, um, and a lot of what motivates me is actually like, oh, I don't want this to happen. <laughs> I don't want mm -hmm. that to happen. Or even I don't want to avoid this thing that's hard. So I'm going to do it. And, um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram or if you've done any of that kind of like personality yeah, yeah. framework stuff. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm a type six, which okay. is like the worst type. It's like the, the terrified one. <laughs> Isn't that what everybody says about their type though? They're all like, oh, I got the bad one. I got the bad one. Yeah. I think they're all bad. It's just like, this is the ways in which you are terrible. Um, no, I know people <laughs> who teach Enneagram and they would say, that is not true. Um, but there's some aspects of it that's like forces you to explore your shadow. And then mm -hmm. th that is the the vice of the six is, is fear. And um I think I, when I was younger and, you know, excited about <laughs> making new things and kind of taking my place in the world, um, I was always kind of pushed by the thing that I didn't want anymore. And the thing that was the problems that I was really pressing up against. That's what moved me forward. And then as I've gotten older and I'm not as motivated by like, you can achieve anything, you know, here's, mm -hmm. here are these goals, you know, you reach certain goals and you're like, wow, that didn't feel like I thought it would feel. And you kind of realize that you have to learn to love your life right now. If you ever have a chance of loving it at mm -hmm. any point in yep. the future. 
And so I've been really trying to shift the way that I work from being pushed by things I don't want to being pulled toward what I really want. And that's not ever a goal, really. It's more like a state of being and a state of acceptance. And, you know, I think we all kind of get to that point in our lives where we're just like, yeah, I don't think this like achievement stuff is working out so well for me. Mm -hmm. So joy is definitely um, that centering thing for me of like, oh yeah, that, and uh, you know, Sarah means princess and I don't go too too far into the princess, but if I'm like, I have sovereignty here over my own joy. um, Okay. I have sovereignty of at least this much. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, that's, that's the story there. But I love that. I love that. You type. (laughs) <laughs> I have done all those tests as well on and like the Enneagram specifically, I, I found it to be really useful, but also really frustrating. And the yeah. reason I say that is because depending when I've taken the the test, I've gotten pretty different answers. Oh, um, yeah. And so it seems to kind of cluster around a few. So like, I don't know if I'm primarily a type three, which is uh, in Enneagram parlance, the achiever or the type seven, which is the, I believe it's called the enthusiast. But yeah. when I, where I sort of, after beating my head against the wall on that a bunch of times, I was like, you know, maybe it doesn't matter. Like, but there's, <laughs> right. there's truth for me in both of these things. Cause like where I ended up with it, you know, I read the stuff. It's useful. It's interesting. It definitely helped me confront and, and revealed some of the stuff I've got to work on. Um, and it was kind of just like, okay, well I have these two lists of things to watch out for. So great. Yeah. I'm just going to be aware of both of them and just off I go. <laughs> but I really yeah. resonate with what you're saying though, about that, like, that shift from being the way I would say it is from being driven and pushed by something to being called and pulled by something. Yeah. 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 And I, I remember for when that was for me, but I'm curious if there's like a moment there's often, I find there's often a moment for people where this really clicks. I don't know if there was a distinct, you know, I was in my bed crying sort of moment, but there was a, a time when I had built this pretty successful little web um, development design shop. And we were a small team of three people serving like 21 clients at a time. We had a system and it worked really well, but it was just so efficiently optimized that it was just like, mm-hmm. I actually... I, I can't do this anymore this way. And so I totally pivoted our company and thought about, you know, what is it that is calling me, that's pulling me forward. And I created this whole visionary way of of working with people called A Small Nation. And it was um, really imaginative and um, ambitious we basically would take people from the seed of an idea to building their own. Um, I always think of the internet as like the fun thing about the internet is you get to create your own universe really. And now mm-hmm. I look back on nation and I think, um, you know, I'm not so compelled by the the language because of, you know, um, kind of taking over and colonialism and all of that stuff. But at the time, what that meant to me was not a nation that like takes over territory. It was building something totally new that didn't exist before. And so Mm -hmm. we would kind of build that place with people and we would do that in public. Um, And that was a learning experience for me. Um, But I think it was the, the first time that I had just decided I have to prioritize this um, just as much as I prioritize what's going to, what feels safe. And I've been reading this book called um, Nature and the Human Soul, I believe, um, by Bill Plotkin. And he talks, yeah, he talks about how we have this need for safety. And on the other side of that is a need for, uh, authenticity. So it's, th- it's the need for like uh, all the things to go smoothly, right? So that we can mm-hmm. live and mm-hmm. survive and keep doing what we're doing. And then there's also though this deep soul level need that all human beings have at some capacity to be 
themselves fully in whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we compartmentalize those things. Some people say that doesn't belong in work because there's all kinds of other problems with that. You know, the kind of like, if you do what you love, you you're working every moment of your existence kind of thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And, and I can see that, but for me, everything, the theme of my life has been um, pursuing both of those things at the same time, bringing alignment Mm. into both of those things, because I don't have anybody kind of funding any of the things that I'm doing. I have to make that work. And, um, and you know, nobody ever hands you the life that is just the perfect Mm -hmm. one for you. (laughs) You have to do that work for yourself. So, um, yeah, I think that's the hard and interesting and exciting thing about our lives and our work is that we get to perpetually be on that path. I'm reminded just in the moment of uh, a quote from James Clear, where he said something like entrepreneurship is a personal development journey disguised as a business venture. Yeah. You know, it's this idea that it's a journey of becoming and no matter where you are on that journey, there's always some next step, some new thing to evolve into. Um, And and it's really, you know, you touched on a couple of really interesting points there that I actually want to kind of go in on a little bit more. It might be an interesting pivot point into talking about people first growth, which is a big focus for you these days. When you say people first growth, I feel like it's one of those terms that people are going to intuitively get. But just to clarify, what do you mean by that phrase? Well, if you will suffer me using my tagline on you, (laughs) it's for people who care about people over profit, but who need profit to care for people. Bottom Mm -hmm. line, Mm -hmm. that is the hardest thing in the world to do. And I, uh, I come at it from a place of really caring a lot about how things that we do affect human beings, which includes ourselves and our teammates Mm -hmm. and everyone that our work touches. But I've also been scrappy and I've had to be scrappy. I'm not someone that, you know, ever belonged in the, um, in the world of like getting funding for a big idea. I, I just, I don't Mm -hmm. really know that universe. And so I've always just said, well, what can I do with what I have, which is me money and the making of money so that I can pay people and, and continue to live Mm -hmm. has always been a priority. The two things that I specifically wanted to have you unpack a little bit, you mentioned in there's something really powerful about focusing on the small to get to the big, right? And not just focusing on this big grand vision that we all talk about and are so used to, you know, so conditioned toward, but not focusing just on that, but focusing (laughs) on the people that that is for. And then also this idea that you have in the book, uh, the book draft so far, which we'll link to in the show notes, but this idea of fractal growth, right? The idea that the, the things grow by cloning what already works at a smaller scale and, and living division now all along the way, not just punting that joy for the future, you know, oh, one day when I get XYZ, I'll be happy. And I just yeah. would love to hear how, hear you unpack that a little bit more and, and describe what that looks like in practice. How do you do that? Yeah. Well, the, the idea of fractals as, um, as a model for growth, I learned from Adrienne Marie Brown's emergent strategy, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm always looking for books written by people who are thinking uh, differently. And usually those books are not written for business. Um, Although Mm -hmm. my book, I kind of have to, because that's my context, but Adrienne Marie Brown's context has been um, and social change and, and movements. And mm-hmm. I, um, I love, and I think it's just, if you've, if you've experienced wins for yourself as good as they feel, it's like you get there and it doesn't necessarily feel like what you thought it would. And it's because the, the small part of your world isn't actually resembling that big vision, right? It's like, Maybe you experience a moment of a win, but you're not living that win, (laughs) you know, in all the parts of your life. It's just a moment. And so trying to figure out like what is actually really important about if there's something that I want or something that I'm thinking would be amazing, 
like, why, why do I want that thing? What, what is that going to feel like tangibly for me? And once I figure that out, how can I give that to myself, to our team now, um, or at least live it in some small way. And in that way, be moving toward the future, but also not having to to save that for later. And I, I just think part of it's a personality thing too, because like mm-hmm. that big vision, I, I'm not motivated by those things anymore. Like if somebody's like, ah, oh, you, you're going to have a, a business that's making X amount of, of profit and you're going to be able to have profit sharing that you've got 10% growth for your business partners and you're able to do profit sharing for your team and all this. And I, I'm just like, it just feels so far away. So arbitrary, mm-hmm. you know, like I just made those mm-hmm. things up. Um, but if I'm thinking um, about a small thing, even if it's something that I don't have now or can't give myself now, if I can focus on that, you know, three months from now, six months from now, it kind of inches me toward that thing. And it also allows you to be a lot more iterative and all of that stuff. So what does that actually look like for you? You said those big visions, right? Okay, Sarah, you're going to have, you know, X, X amount of money and profit every year. And you do this sort of employee profit sharing or, or, you know, those sorts of things aren't doing it for you anymore. So what are you finding is actually getting you going these days? Like what is, what is speaking to you now? Where are we meeting you in your journey right now? (laughs) Well, right now, I mean, on a business level, we're still kind of low on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs kind of thing. And yet I'm holding (laughs) us high on the like, we also need to be true to who we are while we're getting these basic needs met. Um, I think software design, anybody who runs a digital agency of any kind is has probably been trying to figure out, you know, what is the the trend and has experienced commoditization of a lot of their services in just new ways that that people can get started for for close to nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. really trying to figure out where do we fit. And not only that, but compared to 12 years ago when and yet started um People take soft, they have software teams, like everybody has mm-hmm. their yeah. development team, right? Um, and so, as Andreessen said, software has been eating the world, probably will keep doing so. Yeah, exactly. So, it's kind of a, a requirement. And you're the things that you hire for um, and collaborate with a different team with are different than they used to be 12 years ago. And all of this stuff is just constantly changing. And we've experienced that. And it used to be enough for us to just depend on our relationships and word of mouth and all of that. And we just realized like, and and to be completely vague about what we do. (laughs) We've Mm -hmm. always been like, we're, we're people first. We care about each other. We're good at software. We are good at design. Like, what can we do for you? Um, And now we're realizing like, we have to, um, we have to share more about our vision for the world and about our strategic approach um, and and come at it from the things that only we can do, you know, and mm-hmm. the things that make us truly unique and why you can't hire that anywhere else. And so in order to do that, it's kind of those really early, um, it's like we kind of got to build a, a brand new world to exist in uh, a, a new set of people. You know, we used to really just speak to developers and we had, mm-hmm. we had people on our team who loved talking about dev tools and um, just loved blogging about JavaScript and react and, you know, all of that stuff um, and mm-hmm. loved writing mm-hmm. books about it. And we don't have that anymore. And so, I mean, we have our developers and, the the personalities of the people on our team are different, right? It's, they don't they don't care about being like a thought leader, or <laughs> you know, They're yeah, like, sure, they do great work and they love to do that. Um, and so trying to find that kind of mix of um, what are the things that only we can do. And so when I took on the CEO 
role last July, it was really because after years of pushing for it, we'd finally decided we're going to focus on Mm -hmm. a strategic approach to growth, which is what I've been working on for the past 15 years in my career. Yeah, so there's kind of is an interesting arc here of your evolution and and kind of the things you're doing. You you sort of incubated them in your own life, but now you're sort of taking those into a larger scale with with your with your new role and with the team. So you're sort of taking what you were doing individually, and now you're saying, okay, well, how do we make that a we thing? How do we do this? How do you know? How do we do people first growth? So I'm curious, Sarah, have you by any chance come across the work of a woman named Nilifer Merchant? Yes, we have actually been talking about her lately, and um, I really am looking forward to reading her book. Um, I know that you have also interviewed her, and yeah, her books. I haven't, I, I haven't read them yet, but I'm excited to. Yeah, because like listening to you, I'm like, oh man, Sarah, you need to read The Power of Loneliness by Nilifer Merchant <laughs> because she, it's, I think you're, you are walking, you're like walking the path she's talking about where she talks about centering around that spot that only we stand. And that's yeah. the place from which we make our contributions. And so I would love for you to talk to me a little bit about how you're making this transition and, and cause you did this yourself for quite a few years and then now you're really doing it in a different way. For, for yeah. an organization, for a team. Mm, man, well, so much. I think a big part of it for me, this actually, that the coronavirus thing has actually helped me in some ways <laughs> to get clear. I think for a lot of us, it kind of shook up the snow globe and we're like, okay, you know, what am I, what am I really here for? And, mm-hmm. um, I think at And Yet, I've always, you know, in my previous roles, because I've served several, mostly on the marketing side, um, I've always had this kind of imposter syndrome feeling because of Mm. my background. You know, I didn't finish college. I I tried like a, a million different ways. I think I went to like five different schools, but I was always working full time. And Mm. then I had um, kids and I, it just wasn't working out for me to, to do that. Mm -hmm. And so coming from that background and having like developed all my skills on my own, um, has been just hard for me to accept that I know what I'm doing. And I know everybody Mm -hmm. talks about imposter syndrome and we all have that in certain degrees. But for me, joining the And Yet team, it's like I had met this team of people. I had thought before, you know, I I'm not a job person. I don't, you know, <laughs> I, I don't I, I don't want to join a team, partially because like I like the challenge of having my my income tied to what I can do. You know what I mean? I like yeah. being able to say like Oh, I want to take this trip. Let me like figure out how to fund that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Rather than just having like a flat salary. But part of that was just fear too of like, oh my gosh, these people sure. are so smart. They're so skilled. They're so validated in all of these different ways of like where they went to school or just things that they've been asked to do by bigger companies or whatever that are highly validating. And so I come into this role and I'm just like, second guessing myself and feeling like I need to learn a lot of new skills about um, specifically around like business development and how you build relationships with larger companies and all of this stuff. Yeah. Tell me the story about the epiphany in Nashville. Yeah. Well, I was, I went to this, this seminar that was supposed to um, teach advanced uh, positioning and lead generation, which was, you know, it's great. I, I like, I was like, yeah, that's what we need. We need advanced positioning and lead generation. I'm going to learn how big businesses or even just businesses that have, you know, <laughs> You're like, hell yeah, someone's going to show me the way. Yeah. And I'm, I'm listening and I just start to get mad, like not mad at the presenter because, you know, he's super great. Um, or mad at the, the, the people there or anything. It was just mad because I was like, Oh my gosh, this is 
I know this stuff. Like I've taught this stuff. I've helped people do this stuff. Why did I not realize that advanced positioning and lead generation just means taglines and getting on podcasts? Because that's all they talked about, right? And I, you know, <laughs> and I was just really, really frustrated. And in that moment, I just decided, like, okay, no, I, I'm going to stop trying to learn how to exist in the corporate world. And I'm just going to accept that I may not have the pedigree, but I know this stuff. I've built this stuff from nothing. Mm-hmm. I've helped other people build this stuff from nothing. I can and do this. I can figure this I can out. Do this. <laughs> yeah. And we need to settle into the vision that, that I believe that we need to take. And, um, and so that's really been the journey ever since that that happened. That was like a year and a half ago, if I, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. Okay, hold on. So that is a huge moment in your yeah. life, in your career as a leader, like yeah. roughly 18 months ago from the time yeah. when we're recording this in November, 2020. Walk me through how things have evolved for you since then, because if that's where you were 18 months ago, you've come so far in 18 yeah. months, which is amazing and good for you and keep up whatever you're doing. But like, walk me through that. Like, that's where you were then. This is where you are now with this really clear focus on people first growth. You have this really clear positioning around helping your clients develop relationships through creative technology. Yep. You know, you've come a long way. So what, how did you walk that path? Because a lot of people listening to this resonate real strongly with that starting point of like, what the hell? Wait a minute. I yeah. know this stuff. I, I know now what. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think there was, there was that. And then there was also the question before I took on this role um, of like putting on, I, it was weird because I actually put the hat on before I was, this role was even a, a possibility in my head. Mm, and you were I, doing the job before you had the job. Yeah. Well, the reason why was because when I had this realization that I know this stuff, I was like, well, what would I do if this were my company? And mm, I mm-hmm. think, like when you're in a role working for someone else, no matter what your position is or how much power you have or how much, how much they want you to own it and give it your all, asking yourself the question, what would I do if I owned this is the only way to actually get to the truth of how you're going to be most effective in your role. After I wore that hat, I was just like, oh my gosh, like we need to do things so differently. At the time, we had several different pieces of the company. Um, we had a video chat product called Talkie, um, which we've since mm-hmm. spun off into its own company. And um, they're doing really well. We had a, a security company, which we then sold um, to NPM, and um, which they just got acquired by GitHub. Um, so that we were actually able to focus on a thing. The thing about yeah. having a bunch of different things in your that your company is responsible for is like maybe the security team is doing awesome, and mm-hmm. then they're like carrying along the rest of the team and um, kind of funding the things like. Mm-hmm them to continue. They're carrying the rest of the company on their back. So that's hard though, because you have that sort of split focus where you're like, wow, we have this multiple personality thing going on within the company. Like, what do what are we doing here? What do we stand for? Where are we going? Right. Like, unless you're really, really careful, you're just going to be competing with your own set of resources all the time. And mm-hmm. yeah. um, it's like winning here means you're kind of losing over here. And it was just really, really hard for any part of the company to make headway, even when they were doing really well. Um, and so making that decision to really focus and kind of separate these things out, um, was really important. And of course we still do a lot of things as a digital agency. I mean, we have strategy, we have design, we have code. Um, so it's not like we're totally, you know, doing, literally one piece of the puzzle, but it is a lot simpler um, to be able to develop a message around that, that, um, that is true, that we can really develop um, and that we can talk about and bring people along with us. So a lot of people listening to this by now they're going, okay, Sarah, 
I'm in. Like this people first growth thing, it sounds awesome. Let's do it. So how do I do it? Like if I was, if I was that person and, and I, you know, want to get started, if, if the person listening to this wants to get started in this tomorrow, right. what do they do? Yeah. Well, I think it depends, you know, if you are leading a team or if you're doing this on your own, but either way, you really do have to get clear about what it is that you know, what it is that you mm-hmm. want, what it, are the resources that you have, and um, and not just like we were talking about, not just on a big picture level, but on a very like daily kind of level. Like, what do I want my life mm-hmm. to look like? What do I want this team to look like? And yeah, what do I want Tuesday to look like in eighteen months? Yeah, exactly. And um, and also get really really clear on what you need. You know, what mm-hmm. do I need it to pay the bills? I mean, really, um, when do I need it by? What are the actual constraints in which I am designing all of this? Um, And getting clear on those things and making that really clear to all of the people around you that are going to be um, with you in this. And and your teammates, your family, maybe you've got some collaborators that you are accountable to, um, making that really, really clear. And then taking it a little bit at a time. So um, I, the one thing I have taken from the corporate world <laughs> is the divisions, the division of quarters <laughs> as a really mm-hmm. useful tool and um, thinking of yeah. those as sort of seasons that you um, are doing a particular thing in. And so what I try to do is each quarter, each season, I have several different things lined up. I have, um, so this is the story that we're telling during this quarter. Mm-hmm. It's based mm-hmm. on who we are. It's based on what we're wanting. And it's also aligned with what we need. We have some sort of offer, some sort of invitation that is going to help to meet our our financial need um, or whatever it is that we need in that quarter aligned with this narrative. Um, so could you give me an example? Like, what is that right now? What's, what is that as of November, 2020? What's, what's Q4 2020's version of that? Yeah. Um, so we were entering into a season of kind of our, everybody was scared, right. And not quite Mm. sure if they were going to invest more in tech or, or less, you know, or kind of just Mm. keep everything in house, not less. Obviously people are like, Oh, technology, this, Pandemic is at least one part of the economy is not suffering. Um, But that's not really true because there's still a lot of uncertainty. And um, Mm -hmm. with that comes people just kind of breeze up in their decision making process or they keep things in house, keep things safe, um, that sort of thing. And so we were coming up on a season where we, normally would have quite a bit of work, but that was kind of frozen and pulled back. And so we had a a gap that we needed to meet of $70,000 starting in September. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it was September. It might've been October that that actually full 70 K was staring at us in the face to some people that might seem like a lot to some people that might seem like nothing to us. It's, it's significant. Um, so, uh, we were asking ourselves in August, looking at that going, okay, well, what can we do, um, to meet Mm -hmm. that need that's, that's pushing us, pulling us forward into this vision that we have of being an educational resource for people first growth of helping, um, companies to actually take this approach, deepening their relationships with their customers and growing in a way that it feels true to who they are. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so, that's, so that's what you, so this is goes back to that, like that tension you talked about between aligning what you want and what you need. So you want yeah. to, for, and yet to be this resource, this kind of company in this sort of, uh, exi- you know, to exist this way in the world. Yeah. And what you need is it's August. You've got six weeks until you have a 70 K revenue gap to, yeah. meet your, to pay your bills. 
Yes. Yeah. And those so happen on a personal level. They happen on a business sure. level. It's the yep. same thing. It's a, it's a great case study. So let's go, let's, let's go into it. So <laughs> obviously you made it past that. So what happened? Yeah. Um, so we put our heads together, um, and started thinking what is a way that we can help people, whether they hire us or not, um, mm-hmm. that also has a component of something that we can offer and invite people into to hire us for. And the idea um, ended up being that this end of the year is going to be the season of the weirdo. And so we've been talking nice. about weirdos um, all season long. We built a Perfect. site called Find Your Weirdo um, to help people to really grasp some of these concepts to see some examples of companies who've done this really well, like Lego, Impossible Burger, um, our own clients, um, Heroku, um, different, different folks, um, and ourselves. And Mm -hmm. we um, have been building that resource this quarter. We also have an invitation for people to hire us to help them to find their weirdos, which basically includes like the strategizing around like, what actually does that mean? Because weirdo, Mm. you know, you can take that and sort of say, oh, that's like another corporate word for like your right people or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's sort of your target customer segment or whatever. Yeah. But it's a lot more specific than that. And so right now we're working with a client, for example, who is selling a product to women who are aging. And so somebody might think like, oh, well, this particular person, maybe we get specific about like their psychographics or whatever. That's what you mean. And it's like, no, Mm. that's not what we mean. It it means people who weird out about something. Like they're excited (laughs) about a particular thing that they spend their time on even when they're not working. You know, mm-hmm. like people, yeah, like they really growth. geek out on this. Yeah. Like it could be a work thing. Like for me, the idea of people first growth, that is true. Like I think about it all the time. I'm, I'm constantly yep. looking for things, but not every person that has a marketing role or whatever is like weirding out about that. We're, we're doing a find your weirdos project for one of our clients right now. And we're developing this, um, this project that appeals to developers who are like, proud of the web the way that it used to be <laughs> mm, and okay. um and excited about the way the web used to be when you know like when i was in the 8th grade and i was first discovering it right it was ugly but there were beautiful things about it because it was all about community and what you could build yourself and it wasn't all about image right and it's Really interesting, though, thinking about weirdos as like the specific, it's the specific Mm. group of people who care about something so much that they, they think about it when they're not at work or, or whatever. Yep. So we, we designed an offer that was helping people do that, find their weirdos, create something for them, roll it out, you know, the whole deal. Um, But we're also creating a resource for people to really grapple with that question. Um, and, but all of those things have to be aligned, you know, like, um, for, for us, I kind of see them as like pieces, like, like rails on a train track. It's like all going the same direction, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Like little pieces of this, like maybe you're sharing on social media all the time, but you don't have like a really clear narrative or maybe you do have a really clear narrative, but you have no time bound constraint. Like we're doing this during Mm -hmm. this part right now. So you can participate now or you don't like you can't participate in this, right? Limited time offer. Right. Exactly. Or maybe you're talking about something, but it's not actually directly related to what you're offering. Right. Hmm. And so there's not alignment there. Or or maybe you are really good at talking to the people who already know you, but you, you don't have the outreach piece. You're not reaching mm-hmm. people who've never heard of you before. Or maybe people who already know you really resonate with what you're doing, but the people that you are meeting who are brand new are like, I don't get it because you've focused so much on that intimacy that you haven't taken mm-hmm. the approach of like, what if somebody was looking at me from a hundred yards away, what would they see that's yep. relevant to them? So it's like aligning all of these pieces. So they're going in the same direction. 
Yeah, no, I think what you're saying is in everything, there's this underlying tension between what we what we want and what we need, right? Yeah. And it's in and, and I think the really beautiful kind of like judo mindset hack move that you're doing is you're saying, hey, that's not a problem. That's actually I, your doorway to a solution. Right. Yes. It's in that tension that you're gonna find the thing that will take you where you want to go and is going to meet your needs along the way. So from there, you said, okay. What we want is for Anya to be this amazing educational resource, this beacon of people first growth in the world. Yep. What we need is to close this revenue gap in like six weeks. So, <laughs> yeah. all right, what are we, what are we, what are we going to do about that? Yep. Started brainstorming all this and y'all got together and you, what you came out with this was saying, okay, like let's do a seasonal thing. Let's, let's like go out into the world with the season of the weirdo and let's yep. create an entire narrative and set of offers around helping people you know, since your overriding mission is to help people develop their relationship with their customers through creative technology, you're saying, yeah. cool, a way, a specific way we can do that is to help companies find their weirdos. Yep. And we can build a whole set of offers around that. Am I getting this right? Yep. Yep, exactly. Okay. Thank you for the example. Cause like I find that when you can ground it in and attach it to something real, suddenly it snaps That's into focus. I can see it now. Yeah. Yeah. It is a very practical approach to something that can seem really ephemeral. And that's the thing that I'm really trying to bring to this conversation. I feel like uh, a lot of people bring the side of like business and here's like successful things that you can do. And then there's people who are like, here's what the world should be like. Um, Mm. Like how do we make the world what it should be like? Like right now, what can we do to, uh, how do we connect these two? Yeah. Um, and I think that's hard to do, you know, a previous time you and I were talking, I asked you if you had read the book, the infinite game by Simon Sinek. Yeah. And I actually think there's a really strong link between what you're describing right now and the yeah. work he talks about there, because his whole thing is basically how does one be an idealist in a world that demands pragmatism yeah. right? and that just wants to beat the idealism out of all of us? <laughs> that's a really hard question, but I think you actually have found, I'm not going to say like the only answer, but a yeah. good answer to that question is like, that's what I'm actually really getting excited about as we're, as we're having this conversation about this idea of people first growth and that sort of different way of looking at the tension between needs and wants, bridging the gap between pragmatism and idealism. Yeah, no, I, I love like uh, David White, the poet talks about this in the heart aroused um, on poetry and the preservation of the soul in corporate America, I think is what it's called. Um, But it's it's so, so good. But he talks about how um, the, the corporate world needs poets because they need this, um, he calls it like the Dionysian part. The Mm. Dionysian part of us is like wrestling with in the dirt, you know, corporate Mm. America is more the, um, Apollonic, I guess. I don't know. It's the ideal. It's like, everything's clean. Everything is like, everything's perfect. Everything's clean. Right. But the soul, which is something that the poet is really good at is like, it kind of loves the messy as even as much Mm. as it fears it. Um, it loves like, when things get shaken up, it loves to, because that's where the growth of the soul happens, you know? Yeah. Do you ever read anything by Richard Rohr? Oh man. Well, my friend Carissa actually loves Richard Rohr and I haven't, I haven't gotten into it yet. It's one of those things that I'm like, okay, I need to find a a doorway into that. But I think, I think I got a door for you here. I think a doorway you might find into Richard Rohr's work is the book falling upward. Okay. And the reason I think specifically where I think you'll find a doorway, I think he calls this concept the stumbling stone. Mm. And it's this idea of what exactly what you just touched on that to develop as a soul, as a person, you know, as all the things that we are beyond the roles we play in the workplace, yeah. uh, it gets messy and that's okay. And he yeah. talks about this idea of a stumbling stone as the thing that it, in the moment it looks like our downfall. It looks yeah. like something that's making things worse, right? It's taking us out of this like lofty ideal and it's putting us down in the muck. Yeah. But he's saying it's actually a necessary step. That's actually like an aid on your pathway of spiritual growth as a human. It's only by going down that and down into that muck, yes. into the darkness or whatever that you make your way back out. And that's like, that kind of goes back to the Enneagram thing we started the conversation with. It's like mm-hmm. in all of like, whatever your framework, your methodology, your <laughs> path, or your whatever, the thing they're all saying is, look, you have to be willing to go into the darkness to make it out the other side. And yep. you will make it out, but you have to be willing to go or you'll never get there. 
Yeah, no, that's, and it's totally like the Jungian thing too. And Joseph Campbell's stuff with um, the mythology and like the, the hero's journey kind of thing is like, you really do totally. have to you get to know your shadow, you know, and that the shadow is just the flip side of your strengths. And until you actually go there, you don't actually get to use your strengths either. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you're not going to yeah. show up in those. So yeah, because yeah, you won't be able to own it. Like you won't know know yeah. who you are and where to stand. Like going back to onlyness and all that. So, dear listener, if you tracked with us through all that, we just connected closing a short-term revenue gap to Jungian psychology and the depths of your soul. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, I hope you're here for this. If you're not, you might as well get off the train right now. Aligning oh, man. tracks. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I, that's one of the really fun things about these conversations. Is just like the really. The the weird, it's the weird stuff that just kind of all smashes together and you're like, oh, look at, there's those seven concepts all sitting next to each other having dinner. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, totally. I'm really curious what lessons that the listener who's interested in pursuing this pathway of people first growth can learn from the, the fact that you're at least 18 months ahead of them on that path, right? So right. I'm just curious if there's any sort of lessons learned where you look back over how you've tried to do things or how you've tried to pursue this idea or bring it into existence within and yet where you're like, oh man, I wish I'd known this or I would have done that differently. So anything like that where you could say, oh, you know, hey, if you're interested in this idea, just keep this in mind as you pursue it. Well, I think that it's really difficult when you have been solving these problems for a really long time. Um, and, And I don't know if this is relevant really, but I write books, right? And I help... Mm -hmm. Um, clients. I, I work with people individually. I talk about all of these things and I invent things for myself in my personal life that kind of solve these problems and at and yet. But the hardest thing to do is to live it, like to live what I know, you know? And even though, mm-hmm. um, like when the fear comes, I I was just um just finished reading Dune for the first time and oh, it's so good. Ah, I'm so happy for you. It's, so good. it's amazing, but the thing that really really hit me in that was how, you know, fear fear is the enemy and and they have this whole process for dealing with that fear and it's really embodying like this calm so that you actually have control over your own faculties. And knowing that fear actually makes you make the worst decisions. And fear is the thing that keeps you backpedaling, backtracking, going back to old things that didn't work because you're just like, oh my gosh, like we have to do this. And um, in order to get rid of the fear, we kind of revert back to old patterns and old habits. And, um, And also to not trusting what we know. So Mm. I think that for me, the thing that I would always want to know is just that awareness of what fear does to not only me and my decision-making, but to everybody around me, just Mm. so that when it happens, like I have a plan for that so that we're not backpedaling and saying, Oh wait, how do you deal with the fear? Oh my gosh. Fear is so hard. Like for me, because yeah, going back to the Enneagram six, it's like, I always have like this underlying sense of hypervigilance, you know, like Mm, what are all the things that I need to plan for so that I, and it's weird too. Cause I'm also like, very spontaneous. And like, if you're also familiar with (laughs) Myers-Briggs, the INFP is the one that's like, you know, kind of throwing plans out the window. I'm like both the planner and the one who throws the plans out the window. I am really trying to pay attention to um, what it feels like in this moment. I mean, they're all just basic things that you learn about in uh, meditation practice or in yoga or, or whatever. Sure. But it is really like experiencing what the emotion feels like inside of my body rather than thinking, you know? So the first Mm, thing is like thinking instead of thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm so scared thinking like, Oh, I've got this buzzy feeling right here. 
And it's kind of like moving around and paying attention to that. Um, And also really like giving myself the things that my soul actually needs that feed my soul. Because when my soul feels full, I feel confident. I feel excited Mm -hmm. about the future. Um, David White has this beautiful series on the Waking Up podcast, which is a meditation podcast that I've used Mm. for nothing else except for that a friend recommended this series. And it's not even a meditation. It's David White speaking poetry to you Mm. about what that poem means for your life, speaking more poetry to you, (laughs) <laughs> you know, and it's like each one is like maybe 10 minutes, but I love that. Is that on the app or the podcast? It's the app in the app. Oh, yeah. awesome. We will, so, I will check that out because I have that app and I have not checked this out yet. So I'm going to fix that. Yeah. Well, I haven't looked at anything else but this and I paid the hundred dollars for the year just to have access to this series. So <laughs> I think there's a free <laughs> trial though, or something that you can probably get take advantage yeah, of there's there uh, that that i will say just as a i will echo that recommendation the waking up app is i've look i've tried all of them it's like my favorite by far of all the meditation apps totally worth the money that said like they're also amazing about if anybody has some sort of financial need and they you know that is that pricing doesn't work for them email them they'll give it to you so just awesome. it's, it's a fantastic resource i highly recommend checking out yeah 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 i mean finding what feeds you and um, for me, I've just noticed that poetry is one of those things. And David mm-hmm. White is sort of like my entry point because he does tie poetry into something that I'm already thinking about and doing, which yeah. is, you know, my work in the world. And I yeah. find that so valuable. He also has a lecture series um, right now. He's got one in November called The Invitational Identity. It just started on Sunday. So I don't know if you can continue to get access to it. But I, I'm pretty sure he's going to continue doing them um, since this whole COVID thing has happened, which I get excited because I'm like, people are having to invent ways to connect with people that they ordinarily, mm-hmm. like you would have had to go to Ireland or something on a trip with David White. And now you can like, experience that in your living room. It's so nice. You were talking a minute ago about how to navigate the fear and the growth that you're this pathway that you're on, you know, both for yourself, but also for your team and for the environment around you that you're creating. And it reminded me of something that I think we talked about before, or maybe it was in your book, but this idea of leading like a gardener. And that seemed like a really cool idea that I'd love you to just talk to me a little bit about that. What does that mean? And how does that actually influence what you're doing as you're navigating this forward? Like, why, why, how are you showing up differently as a CEO coming from this place of, you know, quote unquote, leading like a gardener than you would be by default otherwise? Yeah. Well, I think the metaphors that we use say a lot about what we think and the way that we approach things, even if we're not conscious of them. But so many of the metaphors in business are war metaphors or um, competition, like even if it's just sports or whatever, um, or labs, or um, if it is nature, it's based on like fungus or viruses. Um, And and in thinking about that, I just um, have been trying to be more intentional about the metaphors that I use. And because it helps you invent a different way to look at something. Language is what we live within. And so if Mm -hmm. we change our language, we can change the possibilities that we see. And so the thing that I realized is that growth is less like a lab and more like a garden. Um, There are uh, elements that you can control, um, which is really your response to things, what you decide to nurture, what you decide to prune, um, what weeds you pull, where you're focusing on. But there are also so many things that we can't control at all. And we can't control the weather, you know. We can't control what occurs, natural disasters. There are a lot of things that we have impact over, but we only have impact over over time. Like we can introduce new things into the environment or or notice that something's like kind of, taking over that we don't want, but it takes time to like figure that out and work with the environment to create the environment that you want. When you think about leadership, especially in the United States culture, you think about like 
mm-hmm. kind of puff ourselves up and we're like, fake it till you make it kind of thing. Um, yep. Definitely, we're taught that the way to succeed is to talk about your success. Like even, you know, women who are taught how to be more empowered, it's like, don't apologize. Like just take, uh, take ownership of your successes and really own those. And I think that that's great. But a lot of things like the, the concept of luck, which is a big concept in both gardening mm-hmm. and in life is just not yeah. into the picture that so many of us it's luck or it's um, whatever privileges that we have that we're, you know, aware or not aware of play into that. And then at the same time, like we take so much ownership or blame on ourselves. Like we have so much guilt over our failures mm, or the yeah. things that we, that happened that were bad that we think, man, if I'd only done this or that or the other thing, but a lot of times life is a lot less predictable or controllable than we think. And yeah, it, it's great to, to feel like you can achieve the American dream if you just work hard enough, but also just acknowledging that like, that's a story, you know, (laughs) and uh, there really, we have to kind of humble ourselves a little bit and see things as they actually are, which means, yeah, a lot less control than we actually think. So, yeah. I mean, if 2020 has taught us anything, it's that controls an illusion. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. It totally is. Awesome. Well, I want to go ahead and close out here with a couple of rapid fire questions. Um, these short questions, your answers can be as long as you feel. Okay. So first one, what would you say is the thing that you know best? Myself. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> answer. I don't think a lot of people could say that. Good or bad. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's the the one thing talking about a garden that we have more control of than other things that we might not. So, um. what is a quote or a saying, a phrase that's important to you? You know that you return to often, and what about it speaks to you? I'm gonna say this wrong, but in the movie Babette's Feast, um, at the end, um, there's this line. There is like throughout the world, there is one long cry from the heart of the artist. Give me leave to do my utmost. And I absolutely love, Mm. I absolutely love that. It gives me chills, especially in the context of that movie, because the art that they're talking about here is preparing this really special meal for people from a very humble position and Mm. just, the experience of that and, and kind of what's revealed within that. It's a, it's a, it's a very humble thing to, to do that, but to do it with such love and such care and such presence, I want to live that way. That's, that's what I want Mm. for my life. So, yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you. I feel like that's the perfect place to end this very thoughtful conversation. (laughs) So, I mean, I, I would drop the mic for you, but I think you need it. Um, So first of all, Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for for sharing these ideas and just for hanging out with me today. So much fun and really my my privilege. So just in closing out, what would you like to leave the listener with? Hmm. I think just that the struggles that you have, you're not alone. And no matter what position that you're in, when it feels like everybody around you is like, doing so great. It's all, uh, kind of a story as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just want people to be encouraged that you can change what is possible for you, not just in the long term, but also in the coming days and weeks ahead. And, um, yeah, it's hard though. And you're not alone in it. Thank you. And uh, for anyone who wants to follow up with you or follow your work, where would you have people uh, follow you online or where would you direct them? Well, um, andat.com is, um, you know, the team that I work with and the stuff that we're doing there is always pretty interesting. Um, And then for me personally, it's tied to Andyet, but I, I have kind of, I do a lot of just creating out loud um, kind of stuff. Like I've, my book I'm writing out loud and 
Um, I've got this public Rome project that I update. Um, and you can find those at sarahavenue.com. I just kind of keep that updated. With, Here's the list of things I'm doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And there's a lot of stuff. I've checked that out. There's a lot of great places there to engage. So we'll definitely put all that in the show notes. So anyway, Sarah, thank you so much for being here. It's been really, really fun hanging out with you and uh, keep up the great work. Yeah. Thank you. This was super fun. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. That helps us reach way more people and build this community up. For show notes, links to the resources, and everything else we discussed, please go to enliven.fm. Feel free to reach out with questions, feedback, or just to say hello by emailing connect at enliven.fm. Be sure to subscribe, and until next time, my friends, leave them better than you found them. We'll see you soon.